Well, good morning. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm not normally the guy who um, gives the sermon. Uh, Pastor Steve is off on some well-deserved time off. Like he said, he's doing a staycation, so don't try to steal his TV. I already tried. He's, he's there. Uh, and so, so what this is today is we're, we're going to do a sermon called The Spirit's Work of Adoption. The Spirit's Work of of adoption, talking about adoption today. And what we just read is what R.C. Sproul calls uh, apostolic astonishment. All right, so let's, let's read it again. So well, I'll read it for you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so the Apostle John, in the last decade of his life, he's still amazed at something. He's still amazed at the love of God and making us his children. John Murray, the uh, Princeton theologian back in the day, he says that adoption is the apex and epitome of grace, that it is, it is the height of grace of what God has done for us and given to us. J.R. Packer, whose most famous book is right out there called Knowing God, he said that adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. Two more. Thomas Watson, the old English Puritan, says, It were much for God to take a clod of dust and make it a star. It is more for him to take a piece of clay and sin and adopt it for his heir. And lastly, from Martin Luther, Oh, the inestimable grace and glory that we have in Christ Jesus. Namely, that we miserable sinners, by nature children of wrath, may arrive at this honor, that through faith in Christ we are made children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, lords of heaven and earth. No tongue, either of men or of angels, could proclaim the glory of this magnificently enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help to see what is true in the word of God. We ask that you would, by the Spirit, illuminate it Lord, that we might cry with John, oh, what kind of love the Father has given. Lord, please, we pray for light. We pray for help. We need you, Lord. And you be among us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so adoption. That's what we're talking about today. Um, as you know by history class, uh, adoption is a very old thing. All right, way back in the days of Hammurabi, the Hammurabi Code from Babylon, 2,000 years before Christ, they talk about adoption. And back then, back in the ancient world, adoption was mostly a thing to secure an heir. That's what they were trying to do. Like if a, a mom and dad don't have a, a, a male child, they want someone to pass the family line down, they want someone to give their possessions to, and maybe to take care of them in their old age, and so they would adopt someone who wasn't originally part of their family, but they'd bring them in. Um, again, from, from history class, your favorite class, uh, Julius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, uh, he, he, he had that situation. He had no male heirs, and so as you might remember, he adopted Augustus, Octavius, his um, great nephew, who became emperor and first citizen of Rome, starting the Pax Romana. <clears throat> However, so that, that, that was ancient adoption. These days, that's probably not most adoptions. Your, your friends who, are, who have adopted a child probably didn't do so because they're seeking an heir. They probably did adopt 
because they wanted to share their love and possessions with someone that was in need. Right. Personally, I, just, I have great respect for people who adopt. It is, it is so Christ-like to choose someone who has no connection to you, but to say, I choose you, and I'm going to pour out, my, uh, pour out emotionally, socially, financially the rest of your life. Like, that's a beautiful thing. So I very much respect that. But today, we're not talking about either kind of adoption, though we're going to reference them. But we're talking about biblical adoption, God adopting his people. And as it has been our custom in this series, um, we're going to follow a definition to give structure to this sermon. So here it is. Here's our definition of adoption. Biblical adoption is the instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit in making children of the devil into sons of God. I'll read it again. Biblical adoption is the instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit in making children of the devil into sons and heirs of God. That's our task today to understand. And so let's begin. We're going to start out with, it is an instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit. And, and I must confess that the title of this sermon is theologically incorrect. So I titled this, The, the Spirit's Work of Adoption because I kind of wanted to go along with the, the series, right? So we had the Spirit's work of illumination, the Spirit's work of sanctification, and so I titled it the, the Spirit's work of adoption. But that is not theologically accurate. Why, Jason? Why, what do you mean? Technically, it should read, the Spirit's act of adoption. The Spirit's act of adoption. Scandal. I know. Yeah, like, Jason, this isn't downstairs doctrine. It's upstairs doctrine today. Um, here's what's going on. And, I, and it, it, it means something, I promise. You see, a work is something that alters one's nature. If, if something is a work, theologically speaking, it alters something, someone's nature. And so the sanctification, sanctification alters your nature, makes you more holy, and it happens over time. That's a work. But adoption, on the other hand, and this is important, it is an event. It happens instantaneously. It's, it's, it's like human adoption at this point. So if you, if you adopt a child, there's a lot of processes you go through, but at some point there's a, you have to cross the finish line and the kid is yours. New birth certificate, they're yours. It's not that they have to, it's like a probation period where they earn the right to be your child or something like that, or a social worker comes in to work on the child and they are, until they are sufficiently a part of your family. No, it is an instantaneous legal event. And that's what it is in the Bible. You see, you start out with a non-Christian. And the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit regenerates their soul, brings life, vivifies them. And now regenerate, they put their faith, they, they trust the word of God that they, have now, that they have now heard. And now they have faith. They're given the gift of faith. Regeneration, faith. And now that they have faith, they are justified by grace through faith. And they are legally declared righteous, all because of Jesus Christ. And, and this is all in an instant, the, and they are now also made members of God's family in that same moment. The Holy Spirit following the will of God because of the sacrifice of Christ in union with Christ, the Spirit applies adoption. 
It says in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. It is all in an instant. It is one event. It is one act of the Holy Spirit. Adoption is not like sanctification that takes a long time. It is an act like justification. And by the way, also similar to human adoption, you, don't get, you can't get kicked out. God does not abandon his children once they are members of his family. All right, so let's go back to our definition. Biblical adoption, you can throw that back up, is the instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit and making children of the devil into sons and heirs of God. Children of the devil. Where do we get this from? We get this from Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. He's talking to, it says, just says some Jews. So he's talking to some people. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I speak of what I have seen in my, fa- with, sorry, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So why does Jesus, why does Jesus call them the, son of, the sons of the devil? And does that apply generally to everybody, or is it just these people are particularly devilish that are standing up in front of him? Well, here's what's going on. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual reality. Obviously, physically, everyone is a son of Adam, a son of Adam and Eve. But spiritually, Jesus is saying that there's this big category of sons of the devil or sons of God. Now, you, you might have heard this phrase that the essence of Christianity is the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. Have you heard that before? All right, you are blessed by not hearing that. Um, I grew up in a different kind of church, and we heard that all the time. The universal fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And that idea, God is just the universal father of everyone, and everyone's a brother. That's the point of, of everything Jesus teaches. That is false. What we see instead is that we have, is that to, to, be, there's to be in the family of God, or there is following, being influenced by, and imitating the devil. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All right, so the, the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil. And so non-Christians, they're not following Jesus, right? That's obvious. We're not actually following logic or reason. They're not even, per se, following their hearts. But here, following the prince of the power of the air, namely Satan. And then from the same verse, you see that the spirit, is, that spirit, Satan, is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He is, he is active. He is planning. He is taking ground. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul talks about people needing to come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his real will. There is real spiritual influence taking place upon every non-Christian and Christian on the planet, every non-Christian following and, and, uh, and being influenced, and every Christian having to put on the armor of God and resist. But that is the situation, the, the default situation is much influence of the devil. 
following, influenced by, and then imitating. Jesus goes on and says this, and so I put an ellipsis before. Uh, Here, I'm going to expand that. Here's what Jesus said. He said to these guys, you are doing the works your father did. They say to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Did you hear that? If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Children, so naturally imitate their parents, right? Jesus says that if they were God's children, then they would love Jesus Christ. God loves Jesus Christ. And they would even act like Christ. But that wasn't true of them. Instead, they imitated their father, the devil, by violence and lies and rejection of the truth. And isn't our world full of violence and lies and rejection of the truth? That's, that's the norm today. And so when we're thinking about the glory of adoption, and that's what this sermon's about. It's about the glory of adoption. When we think about the glory of adoption, we see it both in what we are adopted into, but also what we are adopted out of. We were, you were, a child of the devil, influenced by, following, imitating the devil. Now let's return to our definition. Biblical adoption is the instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit in making children of the devil into sons and heirs of God. Children of the devil into sons. And, and so I did the, the work act thing, so maybe your, uh, your antenna are up now, and you're like, wait a minute, Jason, how come the, the Holy Spirit makes the children of the devil into sons? Where, where do the women go? And children, that includes males and females and sons, it's just males. What's, what's going on there? Well, what I'm doing there is making a, a theological point, but let me tell you just straight up, it is not that women are not in the family of God. It's not that women are excluded um, from all the glories in Christ, not at all. Instead, it is that both men and women have the status in God's family as son, the status. And not just a son, but the firstborn son. You see, in Jesus' time, they practiced what's called primogeniture. The, the firstborn son had all the inheritance rights. You might remember this from Esau and Jacob. We've got Jacob cooking some stew, and it must have been good stew. He's cooking some really fancy stew, and uh, he's got I don't know, saffron in it. He's got truffle in it. I don't know, whatever fancy stuff you put in stew. And, uh, and Esau comes in, and Esau says, uh, well, he's like, Just, I need some stew. I'm going to die. And Jacob's like, give me your birthright. And Esau says, okay. And so Esau gives him his birthright. Well, what does that mean? So Jacob, the number two son, now has the rights of the number one son. He's going to inherit from his father. He's going to get the blessing from his father. The legal status of firstborn was transferred. Well, friends, Cornerstone, you are in Christ. You are united to Christ. When Christ died on the cross, legally you died. Because you're in Christ. That's how forgiveness works. When Christ lived a perfect life, legally, you lived a perfect life. Why? Well, you're in Christ. 
When Christ, so Christ was raised from the dead and now you walk in newness of life and look forward to being raised from the dead as well. Why? Because you are in Christ. Well, in the same way, because Christ has the status of firstborn son, you have the status of firstborn son because you are in Christ. You are an inheritor because you are in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is still supreme, preeminent. He has a different relationship with the Father being the Son of God himself. Um, we can't have that. But, but man, but you are sons of God like him. And so it's not bad to say you're, I'm a child of God. That's not bad at all. That happens, that happens all the time in the scriptures. But theologically speaking here, you are sons of God. You have the status of sons of God. When women don't like being sons of God, we bring up the thing that men don't like, which is being part of the bride of Christ, right? Like, we're all even here. Yeah, but, but that isn't the only thing I want to pull out of the word sons. But that's really important. But, but there's also this gigantic thing. Now that you are a son, you have the privileges of being a son. You have many privileges of being a son. And they all stem from the fact that now you have this father-child relationship with the almighty God. It's amazing. I want to talk about just four of them. We could go on and on and on. But, but this is you. This is your day-to-day -day life. You have the privileges of being a child of God. So number one here is the Father's provision. Now, what do, what do fathers do? Well, fathers, one of the things we do is, is we provide, right? It says in Matthew 6, these are the words of Jesus. It says, therefore, do not be anxious. Have you been anxious this week? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly Father. Your Father knows that you need them all. Well, in the text, what is them all? It is food, it is drink, it is clothing. And what does it say he will do? He will add them all to you. Adoption into God's family means that he will provide for your needs. Isn't that nuts? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. For several months, I was meeting with a counselor, and I talked to him about my job. And so my, my job, one of the things I do is, the main thing I do really is stand there and sing and so I sing a lot on Sunday morning, I sing a lot on Wednesday night, and I sing a lot on Monday, getting prepared. And so the, the fear of all singers are, the, are these things called vocal nodules. Are you familiar? Or are you blissfully unaware of this great terror? <clears throat> so vocal nodules are these things that grow on your vocal cords, and you, you can't sing. You have to wait months uh, before singing again. I had a buddy who was about to go on tour with his band, and he got vocal nodules. Dun-dun-dun. And his band were just like, see ya, we're going to go on tour without you, singer, somehow. Um, somehow, they did it. They went to Nashville, called the Glass Oaks. So, so I was talking to my, the counselor about this, and I expected the counselor to say something like, Jason, do not fear. God won't let that happen. God will give you what you need to do your job. But that's not what my counselor said. He said this, and this is very important. He said, your job is not secure your provision is. Your job is not secure. 
your provision is. Even if I can't sing anymore, even if I annoy Cornerstone staff to the point where they kick me out, uh, my provision is promised by the Lord, by my Father in heaven. This is just a part of this relationship with God. He will provide for you all the way until it's time for you to go in the dirt, and then He will provide eternal life. Praise the Lord. Secondly, the Father disciplines us. Where are we in the sermon? We're talking about adoption, and now we're talking about privileges of being adopted as sons. Here's Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And just note, you just note the sweetness of that. All throughout the scriptures, when we're talking about adoption, there's this sweetness from, from the Lord. He disciplines the one that he loves. And now, I, I trust that the fathers in this room do not leave their children without discipline because we want good for them. We love them. We want good for them. And so when they punch their little brother in the throat, we discipline them, right? True confessions. Because otherwise, your child would grow up to be a selfish monster with no friends, no spouse, and no job. And we don't want that. We love our kids. We want good for them. Well, the same is true of the Lord. He disciplines us because he loves us and wants good for us. When you sin, this is real life. This is your life. When you sin, your heavenly Father responds. He responds with conviction of the Holy Spirit. You felt that before? He even responds with circumstances, sufferings as well. In Hebrews, God was using persecutions to discipline his people. That's really something happening in your life, whether we like it or not. What God is doing is he is working to make you holy. He's not just working so that you'll have a spouse and a job and friends. He's working to make you fit for heaven. And so he disciplines you. John Calvin says, if the scourges of God testify his love towards us, it is, a, it, is, it is a shame that they should be regarded with dislike or hatred. For they who bear not to be chastised by God for their own salvation, yea, who reject a proof of his paternal kindness, must be extremely ungrateful. Right. Adoption. Like, how much would you pay for this mentorship program? Right. How much would you pay for the almighty God of the universe to work in you by his spirit, to work grace in you, to make you holy. This is the relationship that you have with God the Father. <clears throat> Thirdly, uh, because we are sons, we have a confident, childlike access to the Father. Confident, childlike access. So there are two passages about the Christian adoption that are the longest ones. There's Galatians 3 and 4, and then there's Romans 8. And those passages have a lot of similarities, but there's one phrase that's verbatim in both of them. And it is the phrase, Abba, Father. And so we have to address that. And so Romans 8, 15, I want to read both of them. It says this in Romans 8:15, "For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, "Abba, Father." Or here's Galatians 4:6. "And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, "Abba, 
Father. And so I want you to notice something. This heart cry, Abba, Father, this is something that God wants. This is something that God's Holy Spirit is causing. In fact, it is evidence that they're Christians. In his argument, what Paul's doing is he's saying, oh, all you guys have this heart cry of Abba, Father. That shows that you're believers. That's his logic here. And so what that means is that God wants this. God isn't, you know, God could have done, had a lot of different ways that he, he set up this relationship with him. He could have set it up so that the, all your prayers go up and then the angels take notes and decide which prayers go to the Father. You know, God could have set it up so that it's a sin to even think that you're, you'd be able to talk to God. He's holy. But instead, we have this. We have God causing us to come to him confidently, crying, Abba, Father. The word cries, crazo, it's just, it's like a loud, unhindered cry. When, when by the side of the road, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. That was cry. That was cry, crazo. Or even crucify him, crucify him. What, that's the same word. And so perhaps with joy, perhaps with fear, perhaps in need, perhaps uh, whatever it is, the person is crying out. And as John Calvin points out, they are crying out without hesitation. They are not insecure. They're not restrained. They're not uncertain that they will be heard. But instead, they are confident because they know that their God and Father loves them, that he cares. They know that he wants them to come to him, that he invites them. And so to illustrate this briefly, let's say your car breaks down. And you call your dad. You say, Dad, my car broke down. I need help. Can you come get me? Now, you wouldn't talk to your boss like that, probably. Like, you wouldn't assume upon your boss like that. You wouldn't assume necessarily that your boss would care. And you certainly wouldn't assume that your boss would be like, I'm going to drop everything and come help you and talk to you on this stressful situation. You wouldn't be so bold to ask your boss for a ride. But to your father, I hope, you know that he loves you. And you don't even think about it before you call. So it is with God. The Holy Spirit has us cry to him like a confident child, like a child confident that their father loves them. Again, it didn't have to be this way. God could relate to his people any way he wants. And the heart of the father is to relate to us as children. Before the foundation of the world, when the Trinity planned, did they have a planning session? Do they just think the, right, the same thing at the same time? I don't know. Um, the Trinity plans for, for what's going to happen in this creation, and they say, all right, well, there's going to be God the Father with many redeemed children, redeemed by the Son, but it's going to be a family. That is God's plan. That has always been God's plan. You even see that in the Old Testament, God calling himself Israel's father. Now, secondly here, so we, we've talked about the word cry. We're, we're, in the, we're in the privileges of being a son. We've talked about the word cry. But now that Abba Father thing. So people have a lot of opinions about the use of Abba. So it is, it's the Aramaic word that children would use for their fathers. And um, just me personally, just one guy's opinion, um, I really don't care too much if you translate Abba in, as Papa. It's not a big deal to me. If you want to be safest, you use Abba or Father. Those are what's in the text, right? But there's a, there's a twisted thing that people do with this. They, they use this to be unnecessarily chill with the Lord. 
I would say, all right, God, you are, you're, you're holy. I, I understand you're almighty. You're all that stuff. But hey, leave all that out there. Right now, you're my Abba. Just come on, hang out. Like, uh, leave all that holy stuff at the door. I'm not going to honor you. I'm not going to respect you like that. I'm not going to bow before you. You're just my chill Abba. I'm not into that. I just said we have confidence in our relationship towards God. That's not what I mean. So let me tell you what I mean then. Well, I, I think what Paul's doing here is that he's using the word, well, he, he's using the word Abba. All right, so that's Aramaic. The people that he's writing to are mostly Greek speakers. So why is he writing a word that they've never heard before, they don't understand? I think, my opinion, and at least one commentary agrees with me, is that he, he's writing that word because they actually do know that word. They know that Aramaic word because they read the Gospel of Mark or heard someone teach through, preach through the Gospel of Mark. And what is that? That's a reference where Jesus Christ in Gethsemane says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The implication being that your relationship with the Father mirrors Christ and his humanity's relationship with the Father. And so in Christ's prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see two things. You see this intimacy. You see this confidence. He's not, God, if it's okay, like if you, if you have a minute. No, he's, he, he's confident that God is his Father. But you also see him being respectful and obedient in the same time. Again, you know, it's up there. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. There's honor in that. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There's obedience in that. It's the same thing with the Lord's Prayer that we prayed earlier. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. There's high intimacy high confidence, and high respect and obedience. He is the Lord Almighty upon the throne. And so God is an extremely loving father, but he is a loving father to whom you say, yes, sir, when he tells you to do something. You know, you can, really, you can fall off at either side of the horse here. You, you could be like Israel saying like, oh no, God brought us out here to kill us not believing the word of God, live in your day-to-day -day life as if you aren't a child of God, don't be like that. Or you could be on the other side of saying, God, I'm not going to honor you in my prayers at all. I'm not, not going to think about you and your glory and your goodness, even though that's the point of all of life. Don't be either one of those high intimacy, high confidence, and high respect for our wonderful God who has made this relationship, made this our lives. Cool? You got it? All right, number four. So we're still on privileges of being a son. Serving like sons. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3, verse 17. Here, see God's heart again, way back in Malachi. They set, they, this is God talking. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions. See God's heart. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. 
All right, so here we, again, we see, we see God's heart. It's, it's always the same. It's before creation. It's in the Old Testament as well, and now in its fullness, or almost in its fullness, in the New Testament times, in the New Covenant. But what I'm going for in this passage is that little, those last couple words at the end, his son who serves him. In Malachi's time, it was just assumed that this son would serve, that a son would serve his father and mother, that that was just part of it. Right, the amazing privilege of being a son of the king of the universe does not just mean more couch time. It means, about, it means it's more time getting out and doing the family business, which is the kingdom of God. And this is a privilege. Here, we get this from Ephesians, well, many places. It's just what's true. But Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, you've heard this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As sons of God, we are tasked with kingdom work. That's part of the privilege of being his sons, of actually being his sons. <clears throat> Ligon Duncan is, I think he still is, the chancellor and CEO of Reformed Theological Seminary. Joel, do you know if that, is that still true? Yeah. So, uh, here's what, so here's what he said about this. Adoption doesn't free us from obedience. It frees us to and for a glad and willing obedience. Precisely because of the relation we sustain to the loving Father as loved children. He continues, It is easy to want to please someone who you know already loves you. And on the flip side, it is deadly to try to please someone in order to get that person to love you. So here, here's where I plug serving at Cornerstone. You want to do some kingdom work? Do it here with us. There's many ways to serve. But you don't, then again, you don't, it doesn't, it's not just at Cornerstone, by the way. So yeah, your church is probably one of the main places that you'll serve um, God in his kingdom. But you can also serve the Lord in your neighborhood, in your prayer closet. You want to, you want to look at what God has given you in terms of gifts, and you want to use that for his kingdom. Do that. Serve like sons. And so friends, Adoption is amazing. It is amazing. Again, we're, we're, John says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. Because the thing that just blows my mind is that it didn't have to be this way. God could have said, all right, I'm going to forgive you and you will forever be my subjects and I'll be your king. And that would have been grace. We would be singing worship songs. Thank you, king. Right? Or God could have stopped at... Um, okay, I'm going to give my son as their great high priest and there's going to be this redeemed congregation and we, that would be grace and that's true. Or even here's this savior and all the lost have been found in him and that would be grace. That's wonderful. And yet he didn't stop there. But he said, and these redeemed sinners, I'm going to bring into my home. I'm going to make them my children. I'm going to love them like children. I'm going to treat them like children. To make them sons in Christ, co-heirs co with my beloved son. It's amazing to be in the very family of God. This is your life if you're in Christ. <clears throat> All right, last, last little part here. Biblical adoption is the instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit in making children of the devil into sons and heirs of God. Let's continue reading in Romans 8. 
the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Remember J.I. Packer said that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers? I know, that, I know the answer is no, but does anyone in this room f- comprehend the meaning of those three words, heirs of God? Or can anyone in this room fully grasp the privilege, the glory of being heirs of God? Where did we start? We started as children of the devil. What does it even mean to be his heir? Well, we could go a number of different ways. They're all good, but there's only one thing I'm going to do so that I may obey the clock. You see, being heirs of God could, it does, not could be, it does mean that you are an heir of the promises. And so when you see a promise, a covenantal promise, well, that's for you. You're in Christ. Okay, and being heirs of God means that you're going to be an heir. You're going to be in the throne room. You're going to rule with Christ. And being heirs of God, there's this authority. You're even going to judge angels. And so we can, we can talk about those things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something in a little bit more vague because I think, really just because I've been struck by these passages in Scripture. All right, here, here's what I want. Here's, here's my definition. Here's my little, little Jason attempt at giving you a definition of what it means to be an heir of God, okay? To be an heir of God is to inherit all of the blessings of this world and the world to come. To be an heir of God is to inherit all of the blessings of this world and the world to come. And before I qualify that statement and take things back, I want to read two verses. Here's Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Or this verse in 1 Corinthians 3. So let no one boast in men. They're saying, like, Paul's my pastor dude. Peter's my pastor dude. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. It seems that there is no limit to the inheritance. Spiritual blessings, physical blessings, community blessings, communion blessings, to be an heir of Jesus Christ seems to leave no blessing unbestowed. But now let me qualify, because we're not a prosperity gospel church, right? In saying that we have all blessings, I'm not saying that outside in the parking lot is a Lamborghini for all of you. I know, I know. Sad days. Um, so it's, it's very clear from Scripture that we're supposed to suffer like Christ. We're united with Christ, right? We're reflecting Christ. We're forgiving as Christ forgave. We're laying down our lives. And so the physical blessing thing gets pretty wobbly there. And even the, the spiritual blessings have this now-not-yet flavor like there is in a lot of Scripture. We see this in Ephesians 1. So we're going to look for the now-not-yet thing as I connect two passages. 
Blessed be the, God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Dot, dot, dot. We were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee or down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here's what it looks like. It looks like in Christ we have all these spiritual blessings, all these heavenly blessings, and we get a taste of them. We get the, the not the first fruits really, we get a down payment of them by the Spirit. The Spirit applies, what are the blessings? Grace, adoption, redemption, the love of the Father, relationship with the Father. That's all applied by the Holy Spirit now in measure. And then we turn our gaze to the new earth where we will receive the inheritance in full. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, as we've read before, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, think about your sufferings, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And later he calls it the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is a glorious fullness ahead. It happens at the resurrection and continues into eternal life in the new earth as we reign with Christ as we stand in the presence of God, loving him and serving him for eternity without sin, without suffering, experiencing the glory of the world to come. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I hope that's a little glimpse. Do you see how vast it is? It is just standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It is vast because we share in the inheritance of the eternal Son of God. All right, let's wrap up. The clock is very angry. <clears throat> Biblical adoption is the instantaneous act of the Holy Spirit in making children of the devil into sons and heirs of God. I hope you thoroughly are happy we're coming away with the knowledge of what all that means. And so friends, there's a reason why John Murray says that adoption is the apex and epitome of grace. There's a reason why J.I. Packer says it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. I hope you're getting a sense as the Spirit works that this is wonderful. This is amazing and this is your life. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And so here I want to end with the same quote we heard before. This is from Martin Luther. I'm going to put it up there so you can read it and soak it in. Martin Luther said, oh, the inestimable, <laughs> I knew I was going to mess that word up. The inestimable, oh, the inestimable grace and glory that we have in Christ Jesus. Namely, that we miserable sinners, by nature children of wrath, may arrive at this honor. That through faith in Christ, we are made children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, lords of heaven and earth. No tongue, either of men or of angels, could proclaim the glory of this magnificently enough. Praise God. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, oh, what a joy it is to call you Father. What a privilege, Lord. And I pray that, again, that you would open our eyes to the glories of this truth. You have done so much in Christ to make us your sons. Oh, would he receive all glory. And Lord, may we walk this week with this on our hearts and on our minds. May we re-interact with you as your children, as you desire us to. Oh God, do much in us for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Stan. Thank you, Jason, for reminding us of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives and that we are children of God by adoption.